Welcome, everyone. Um, it's an honor um, and a privilege uh, to stand before you, to be asked, amen. Uh, most of you are um, not privy to my testimony, but maybe at another time I'll tell my testimony again, and so you'll know that it's uh, really an honor to God that I would be asked to stand before you um, and to give this word. And so I welcome everyone. Um, before I um, briefly pray and bring the word, um, I want to say that on this cold blue day, cold blue day, we um, have some guests and visitors that are here maybe to be warm and to um, have uh, coffee and something to eat, but this is church, okay? And so one of the things that I've been praying for leading up to today is that people wouldn't raise their hand and talk back to me while I'm giving the message because I'll get really distracted, okay? So I would love to have um, thoughts, comments, um, you know, e even criticism when I'm finished. Please come on, come on up, okay? So, but let's pray. Um, Father God, I come before you this morning, oh God, again, um, my second time coming before you where you say that we can find um, grace and mercy in our time of need. So I need you now to show up. I need you to help me with this message. I don't want to go off on any bunny trails. I want you to be glorified. I want, if possible, people can take home uh, nuggets for themselves, oh God. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, oh God, would be acceptable in your sight. You are my strength and my redeemer. You're my peace. You're my provider. You're my friend. You're my savior. You're my righteousness. You're everything for me and I want to please you today and that little pride in me um, just as a speaker every speaker Lord God would love to hit a home run in their message but more importantly Lord I want to please you today and so um, help me and I really thank you and in your precious name I pray Lord Jesus amen well I love stories so I'm going to tell you all a story. There was once a bridge that spanned a large river. During most of the day, the bridge sat with its length running up and down the river, paralleled with the banks, allowing ships to pass through freely on both sides of the bridge. But at certain times each day, a train would come along and the bridge would be turned sideways across the river, allowing the train to cross it. A switchman sat in a shack on one side of the river where he operated the controls to turn the bridge and lock it into place as the train crossed. One evening, as the switchman was waiting for the last train of the day to come, he looked off into the distance through the dimming twilight and caught sight of the train lights. He stepped onto the control and waited until the train was within a prescribed distance. Then he was to turn the bridge. He turned the bridge into position, but to his horror, he found the locking control did not work. 
If the bridge was not securely in position, it would cause the train to jump the track and go crashing into the river. This would be a passenger train with many people abroad. He left the bridge, turned across the river, and hurried across the bridge to the other side of the river where there was a lever switch he could hold to operate the lock manually. He would have to hold the lever back firmly as the train crossed. He could hear the rumble of the train now, and he took hold of the lever and leaned back to apply his weight to it, locking the bridge. He kept applying the pressure to keep the mechanism locked. Many lives depend did on this man's strength. Then, coming across the bridge from the direction of his control shack, he heard a sound that made his blood cold. Daddy, where are you? His four-year-old son was crossing the bridge to look for him. His first impulse was to cry out to the child, run, run, but the train was too close. The tiny legs would never make it across the bridge in time. The man almost left his lever to snatch up his son and carry him to safety, but he realized that he could not get back to the lever in time if he saved his son. Either many, many people on the train or his own son must die. He took but a moment to make that decision. The train sped safely and swiftly on its way, and no one aboard was even aware of the tiny broken body thrown mercilessly into the river by the onrushing train. Nor were they aware of the pitiful figure of the sobbing man still clinging to the locking lever long after the train, the train had passed. They did not see him walking home more slowly than he had ever walked to tell his wife how their son had died. Now, if you can comprehend the emotions that went through this man's heart, you can begin to understand the feelings of our Heavenly Father when he sacrificed his only son to bridge the gap between us and eternity. And this is not only a picture of God sacrificing his son for each of us, but it is also a picture of God's love for each of us. The reason I read that story to you this morning is because it's a vision, again, of not only his sacrifice, but his love for you. And I received a word for Communitas today that no matter what your life looks like today, Right now, no matter how hard or how challenging your lives may be today, Jesus sees you as valuable and you have worth to God. Not because of what you have or don't have, but because of who you are. And one of my favorite scriptures to demonstrate this point, because many times we value ourselves or value other people based on who they are or what they have. But that is not at all the heart of God. That is not what God values. And my favorite, favorite, one of my favorite 
illustrations of this is Matthew 3.16. And in Matthew 3.16, it says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and rightly so, he was baptized. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he, Jesus, saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. So it must have just been really over him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I am well pleased. Now, Jesus was just about to start his ministry from birth. For those of you that, that know, he was born of a virgin in a manger, very humble, very lowly position because throughout Jesus' entire life of 33 years old, he was very humble. He, he wouldn't have been today with President Trump or the Senate or the Congress. He wouldn't be with Beyonce or Jay-Z. He would be with us today. He was humble and he came for the people. But when he was 30 years old, having lived zero to, or birth to 30 years old as a somewhat normal child and young man, well, he was God incarnate, which means he was God in the flesh. So even though he was a baby and a little boy and he had to, he had to listen to his mother and father and he followed his father as a carpenter, he was actually fully man but fully God. But at 30 years old, when he began to start his ministry until he would die on the cross three years later, his father, after he was baptized, said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And his son hadn't done anything. He hadn't done the first miracle of turning the water to wine at this big fancy uh, wedding. He hadn't healed the blind. He hadn't raised the dead. He hadn't talked to the woman at the well and told her her whole life story and for her to say, whoa, this man must really be something. He hadn't done anything. And so I want you all to know that you are valued and you are worthwhile just because of who you are. But let's think for a moment of what you may perceive about value from the world's perspective. It's usually based on things outside of ourselves. What someone can do for you or what you can do for them or what you have. Its value is very often based on material things. The mu music artists sing so much about money and bling, you would think the only way to happiness is by having stuff. The world also bases value and worth on what a person has what you have growing up, where you went to school, what your parents had, if you had a cool bicycle or not, if you had the coolest clothes. And then when you got older and you got a job and you got a car, all these material things somehow in the world's view say to your worth or they, or they are a picture by the world's standards. And so many times the world's standards can make us feel less than. But let's step back into the spiritual and understand you are valuable to God just because of who you are. Another famous verse is John 3.16. For God so loved the world 
that he gave. And I don't know about you, but I have never had someone say, I so love you, Vivian. But when I really started meditating on that in the Bible, I'm here to tell each of you, God so loves you. And if you don't have family today, and if you, brother, would you please sit down? Thank you. In the name of Jesus, I got to take authority. But if you have not had anybody of your um, close connections, it's very possible that you don't feel loved. But God so loves you that he gave. When the world so loves you sometimes, they only give if you have something for them. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, he died for us. And there's a portion of the Bible that says it's understandable for somebody to die for a good person. He died for us before we were born, while, before we even committed our sin, in our mess. That's a picture of love. It's unconditional. So many times in your relationships on earth, if you didn't please that person or you did something they didn't like or sometimes when we got a spanking as a little kid, we might not have always felt love. But he gave for us while we were still sinners and he loves us so much today because of who we are. Love in the world is so performance-based. How many of you are old enough to remember the song? No romance without finance. You got to have a J-O-B if you want to be with me. Ain't nothing going on but the rent. That's, how, that's what our culture says. Love and identity is based on what you have. And I have this little theory. I'll just tell you this little theory. I have this little theory. I could be way off because sometimes as a Christian we could be judgmental. But my little theory is regarding the rap artists, maybe not all of them, but I believe a lot of them and the women that are sometimes drawn to them or with them, it's a, um, to me, I'll say they're playing one another. Because if you look at somebody, God, forgive me, like Flavor Flav. And I have watched his reality TV show a little bit where these women were coming on there to marry him, not to get to know him and to develop a relationship leading to marriage, but they were coming on there to marry him. Very beautiful, very shapely women. I believe they were there, not because of his personality, certainly not because of the way he looked, but because of his money. But they're being played too because he's only wanting them for their looks. He's not looking into their eyes 
and wanting to build a future with them necessarily, um, but it's very superficial. You, you have something I want, I have something you want, and I just believe, I mean, I don't know Biggie Smalls and the women that were throwing their underwear on the stage and all these things. I mean, I don't exactly, I think he was a very, very talented man, but I think a lot of it was based on money, you know, and, and exactly. My daughter had a boyfriend a few years ago, and he really couldn't move on at some point in the relationship because he was having trouble passing the bar exam. And as important as that would be for someone who wants to be a lawyer to pass the bar exam, from just listening to him a little bit or from listening to what my daughter would share to me about him, I felt his total identity was in becoming and being a lawyer. And I really wasn't at all happy with it. So although they broke, broke up and her heart was broken and my heart was broken for my daughter's heart to be broken, I was like, thank you, Jesus. And now I have a son-in-law who, to me, he's the whole package. He's not only handsome, but he's bright and he's caring and he's kind, and he's funny, and he's a hard worker, and he looks out. I babysat for them on Friday night, and when they got home, and after a while we shared and had a little time together, and my son-in-law was falling asleep on the couch, but when he woke up and saw that I was getting ready to get my cab, he was like, oh, no, no, I'll take you down. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's got a good heart. He's the total package. He's not, his, who he is has nothing to do with just a job. He's so much more than that. If we were to ask people, and I'll be finishing soon, if we were to ask people what they think they even have to do to get God's love, they may give you a list of behaviors. Got to stop doing this, can't do that, should do this, got to pray more, can't have that drink on Friday night or whatever. Religious performance. Just about every aspect of life someone may consider is that way. So isn't it that way with pleasing God? But no, he doesn't give his love this way. As a matter of fact, I'll explain God's love using my daughter. There is nothing, there is no thing on earth my daughter could do, even the most heinous crime that I wouldn't not only forgive her for, but love her for. I might have to visit her every week in a penitentiary, but there's nothing she could do that would take my love for my daughter. And that is a picture of God's love for you. And I also want to tell you that he couldn't love you more right now, more than he ever will. I always had a performance-based mentality being in ministry for 25 years. 
and I really always felt, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not pleasing him, or I'm falling short, or I'm this. But it couldn't be further from the truth. It's not when we pray more, or do more of this, or have more. God could not love each of you any more than he loves you right now. And in closing, my prayer is that you will walk in this understanding. I pray when you walk out of here, situations may not have changed in your life, but you will walk out with assurance, I'm loved by God. And nothing can ever take that from you. Okay? So I think I'll end there. And thank you.